G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hi, this is Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast from the Vision Radio Network. Remember, you can hear 2020 on Vision from 10am Australian Eastern Time weekdays. On Anzac Day, there are so many dimensions and stories to tell of the selfless sacrifice of our diggers. But our attention today is on one of the major battles of the Second World War, the Battle of El Alamein in northern Egypt, which is counted as an amazing victory against the advancing Germans, in which the Anzacs played a history-defining role. The Battle of El Alamein was a key battle that determined the survival of the Jewish people, who were victims of Hitler's Holocaust, and the killing of Jews was spreading even as the Germans advanced towards Israel. In 1942, the Germans were moving east, across North Africa, towards Israel, with death squads to wipe out the Jewish people. Author and historian Kelvin Crombie, who is the author of books including Anzacs and Israel, and his most recent book, El Alamein, is with us today to talk about the big picture of this amazing victory won at El Alamein. Kelvin Crombie, welcome to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Good to be with you. Kelvin, just quickly, you're a well-known author and historian. You've had a long interest in particularly the Anzacs' involvement in these battles from World War II. Yes, Neil, I got the interest when I was a young fellow growing up in the rural areas of Western Australia. I had an uncle who died at Tobruk in '41, and uh, other relatives who had served in the, uh, in the forces, including uh, a cousin who, of a mother who died at Alain and an interest in the light horse. And when I was young, I decided I wanted to go to live in Israel. There were other factors, of course, but at the age of 21, I went across to Israel. And as a result of being there, I actually came to faith in Jesus as Messiah and continued to live there for 24 years thereafter. And uh, it was during that period of time that I began to work as a guide with the Evangelical Anglican Church inside the old city of Jerusalem, a place called Christchurch. And I had to specialize in my guiding program on the period of British involvement in the Eastern Mediterranean, 1798 to 1948. And as a result of having to thoroughly research this area, I, of course, came across the First World War, Second World War, and then as like the Anzacs parachuted into the story. And the the nice thing about all this was that instead of just looking at the Anzac story at Gallipoli and Bathsheba and Tobruk and Alamein, which I'd done while growing up here in Australia, now I was able to see all those events in the bigger context, within the bigger picture, and realising that we were part of the overall British forces in the region. But the British involvement there also was part of a much, much bigger picture, uh, which began with Napoleon's invasion of the region in 1798, because he was wanting to kick the British out of India. So it helped me to understand the bigger picture. And as a result of that, I think I was able to understand more about why we as Australians and New Zealanders were there and why I had family members who were there. And so from about 1988, I took my 
Uh, my, did my first uh, in step with the light horse tour down to Beersheba. I took a tour from Jerusalem down to Beersheba in order to show um, Australians, New Zealanders and others, uh, not just the battle sites, but for them to understand this much bigger picture of why we were there. And in the years thereafter, I probably did over well over 100 such tours, and it's all a pioneering program, actually. Nobody else in Australia or in Israel even was doing those things in those days. And the, the interest was there. Many Australians and New Zealanders thought, wow, there is a bigger picture behind this. What is it? So I began to do more research on the subject and wrote a fairly comprehensive book in 1998 called Anzacs, Empires and Israel's Restoration. And uh, yeah, I did some other publications thereafter as well. But what I was sensing more and more is that the average Australian New Zealander did not understand the bigger picture. They only saw things from a fairly parochial perspective. Yet there was a much bigger picture. And a lot of that bigger picture, Neil, revolved around a very, very integral subject. And that was every one of those battles, be it Gallipoli, Beersheba, or as you Australians call it, Beer, and then Sheba comes afterwards, Beersheba, uh, Tobruk and Alamein. Each and every one of those battles played an integral role in either the restoration of the Jewish people to the land of Israel or their preservation in the land of Israel. Kelvin, is there a sense in which uh, you're saying there was a prophetic element to the way that the Australians were involved? Well, if you want to use the word prophetic, yes, there was a prophetic element. I would prefer to use the term the sovereignty of God working through the affairs of man, basically. Because if you look at the context or concept of the sovereignty of God, he was working through all these various battles to bring forth his ultimate purposes. Um, There's nothing that I can see in the scriptures which specifically says these were prophecies being fulfilled. But the bigger purpose was God's sovereign purposes being fulfilled through those battles, be it Gallipoli, Beersheba, Tobruk, and El Alamein. Now, El Alamein was so, so important because, as myself and several German historians have discovered from the, um, from the original sources, the, the Germans actually had a particular death squad called the Einsatzkommando Egypt, ready to go in and annihilate the Jewish people in Egypt, 70,000, and Palestine at the time, over 500,000. So if we had lost the battle at El Alamein, which began on the July the 1st, 1942, and went through to the 4th of November, if we had lost that battle, then that squad would have connected itself to Rommel's army and gone in and decimated the Jewish people. And if that had happened, they would also have combined with collaborators on the field, um, local collaborators to have assisted with that. And the whole infrastructure of a Jewish national home in Palestine would have been destroyed. There would have been no state of Israel. Kelvin, Winston Churchill called it the beginning of the end of World War II. And uh, from that point, the Battle of El Alamein, uh, when uh, those uh, Anzacs and the Brits uh, pushed back Rommel's forces, uh, it really became something of a turning point. Well, it was, from a military perspective, it was a turning point, but it has to be associated with the Battle of Stalingrad. One cannot be seen in separation from the other. Uh, if, for instance, the Germans had won at Stalingrad, then more than likely the British 8th Army would have had to pull forces away from the El Alamein line and taken them up to the, the northern part of Syria to stop the Germans coming down over the Caucasus Mountains then there might have been a different ball game there in El Alamein because our line would have been weakened. And, of course, it also has to be seen in conjunction with Operation Torch when the Americans and British landed over in Morocco and Tunisia. 
Um, so, but anyhow, as it worked out, um, the Germans didn't win at Stalingrad, and so Montgomery was able to break through the German line at El Alamein. And yes, it was the beginning of the end in that uh, regards. But I think we really need to see it in the context of Operation Torch and the Battle of Stalingrad at the same time. Kelvin Crombie is an historian and the author of two books in particular, The Anzacs and Israel and El Alamein, his most recent book. Kelvin, stay with us. I'd like to talk to you some more about the Anzacs' role in these key battles that, you, that, that determined the Jewish survival. We'll come back and talk some more shortly. You're listening to the 2020 podcast from the Vision Radio Network. We're back talking about one of the major battles of the Second World War, the Battle of El Alamein in northern Egypt, in which the Anzacs played a history-defining role, holding back the might of German forces moving towards Israel. The Battle of El Alamein was a key battle that determined the survival of the Jewish people, who were facing an extension of Hitler's Holocaust as the Germans advanced towards the Holy Land. In 1942, the Germans were moving east across North Africa towards Israel with death squads to wipe out the Jewish people. Author and historian Kelvin Crombie is with us. Kelvin Crombie, there was a dramatic turnaround at El Alamein. Did the Jewish people at the time recognise the significance of the victory against Rommel? Yes, most certainly. Um, Through my years in Israel, I had the privilege of speaking to many, many Israelis who were alive at that time. And, of course, then they were uh, Jewish people living in British-mandated Palestine. And people such as the former Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin and General Narkis, who captured Jerusalem in 1967, uh, they said exactly the same, that had the Allies lost at El Alamein, then it would have been very, very difficult for the Jewish people who then lived in Palestine or any area east of El Alamein, put it that way. And even when we look at El Alamein, we actually have to see it in the context of the overall Middle Eastern campaign. Because don't forget, we had three divisions there, and the New Zealanders had one division. That's four ANZAC military divisions, as well as Air Force and Naval Forces, in the Middle East during the war. And so the fact that we were based there, and three of our divisions were actually in garrison in Palestine, so they actually were with the Jewish people on a daily basis, that our presence there was extremely important for stopping the German and the Italian forces entering in uh, to the region from out of the west, okay, from Egypt, or from the north, they came from Greece down through Crete, and also from Iraq. And that's what I've tried to do in this recent book on El Alamein, is paint the bigger picture. I'll give you an example, Neil. When the Germans invaded Greece in 1941, and our 6th Division was there alongside the New Zealanders, we were basically protecting, in a sense, the city of Thessalonica, which had 56,000 Jewish people. Now, those Jewish people were safe while our forces alongside the Greeks and the British were there. Once the German army invaded and took Thessalonica on the 9th of April 1941, the welfare of that Jewish community was imperiled from the very first day. And ultimately, 96% of that Jewish community was sent to Auschwitz-Birkenau and was murdered in the gas chambers. Okay, so it gives you some idea of what was going to happen on any area where our troops were based and the Germans came in and the Italians later in other areas invaded that particular area. And so, you know, that's what would happen to the Jewish community anywhere in the Middle East. So the Jewish people in the land of Israel, Palestine at the time, and in Egypt, would have been looking at the events in Greece, Crete, in Libya, very, very closely. And they would have realized, and they did realize, that every time the Germans won a victory and got closer to the Suez Canal, closer to them, um, it was closer to them reaching uh, a very, very dangerous um, point. Now, also, 
1941, there was an, uh, a German take, a coup d'etat in Iraq, for instance, where the pro-German government took over. Now, there were 100,000 Jewish people in Iraq at that time. Now, even though our forces never went there, we have to see that within the overall context. During this period of time, there was a very, very strong anti-Semitic leader called Hajj Amin al-Husseini, the Muslim spiritual leader of Jerusalem. And he was behind a lot of these agitations for destroying the Jewish national home. And he also was in Iraq at this time of the coup d'etat. Now, thankfully, the British were able to get there to Iraq, defeat the Iraqi army before the German army was able to come down and reinforce them. So, you know, in a sense, we were able to um, stop that um, influx of German forces into Iraq. But this man called Hajj Amin, the Muslim spiritual leader of Jerusalem, then went to Berlin and began to work openly with the Nazis and met with Hitler in November of 1941 to further their overall cause of destroying Jewish people everywhere, whether it be in Europe or the Middle East. So that was a very, very potent force when you had uh, this Muslim leader, Hajj Amin al-Husseini, and Adolf Hitler working together on this particular plan. So when we get to 1942... Um, you know, by 1941, we held out the Australian Knights Division and others held out at Tobruk, and that was great. It stopped the German forces from moving into Egypt. But 1942, in June 1942, Tobruk fell to Rommel's new thrust. And then that put a completely new slant upon everything because now our forces were on the withdrawal. They had to withdraw all the way back to El Alamein. And uh, it was touch and go. And so at that particular time in Berlin, the Nazi leadership, that's when they began to formulate plans for establishing a specialized murder squad called the Einsatzkommando Egypt. Now, the Einsatzgruppen were murder squads that had gone into Poland and Russia and actually murdered over a million Jewish people by shooting them mainly. This was before the gas chambers got uh, established firmly. So this particular death squad called the Einsatzkommando Egypt was to go down to the Middle East once they won El Alamein, join with Rommel forces and go in and begin to implement their plans. Now the Jewish people of Palestine were not aware of that, it's only later when, particularly when two German historians actually located the sources in the German archives that we became fully aware but all the Jewish people realised that had Rommel's forces broken through, crossed the Suez Canal then it would have been very difficult for them. So our victory at El Alamein in 1942 was crucial, not just militarily, which we all know about. We know about the military consequences of the victory, but very, very few know the flip side of the coin. What would have happened to over 600,000 Jewish people who lived in Egypt and the land of Israel? And who knows, it could have affected the Jewish people in Syria and Iraq as well, had Rommel's forces gone in and captured those regions. Kelvin, so with this true relief that was there in the hearts of the uh, Israelis. Uh, They wanted to honour the general, and of course we're talking about uh, Lieutenant General Bernard Montgomery. They did so by giving to him a Bible. That's right. Probably about 1946 when Montgomery went back on an official visit, the Jewish leadership that was known as the Vad Little Me, that was the uh, National Council of the Jewish People, they made an official presentation to Montgomery. That presentation was a beautiful Hebrew Bible, And uh, associated with it, or accompanying the Bible, was a parchment with these words in English and in Hebrew. And it says, Field Marshal Viscount Montgomery, the gallant leader of the victorious British forces, by whose hand God has placed salvation in Zion in the days of El Alamein. 
Now that sums it up, Neil. That shows you from the perspective of the leadership, they understood that their salvation, their physical salvation, uh, redemption, etc., uh, etc., et came about as a result of the victory at El Alamein. It's an amazing victory, Kelvin. And uh, just to note, uh, given that it's Anzac Day, uh, that so many of our Anzacs didn't make it back home and weren't part of those same celebrations having uh, driven Rommel's uh, uh, panzer divisions back. How many Anzacs lay buried there in Egypt? Oh, there are several thousand Anzac soldiers. There's about, if I'm not mistaken, about 1,200, I think, buried in El Alamein, Australians, and there are others as well. And I was there recently and actually discovered uh, my mother's cousin, who we didn't really know at all, or neither did my mother. She was, he was buried there. Um, but there are also you know, many British soldiers, South African soldiers, Indian soldiers. Uh, there were soldiers from many, many different parts of the world. But, you know, the most amazing thing is, Neil, that those soldiers did not realise that as a result of their service and ultimately losing their lives, um, that they actually played a huge part in stopping the Holocaust entering into the Middle East. And I believe this is one of the most important things we have to get home at Anzac Day. It's not just to look at what our soldiers did, and brave as they were, it's the consequences of their fighting there. And most of those guys and their families had no idea that from the First World War, the role of the light horse, we helped to lay the foundations for the Jewish people coming back legally to the land of Israel under the... Balfour Declaration, the British Mandate, and the League of Nations. And secondly, as a result of what happened in the Second World War, we actually helped preserve them from annihilation from the Nazi forces. So certainly the Anzacs playing a decisive role, uh, not only in that battle of El Alamein, but uh, in the big picture. And the big picture is uh, more complete when you have a look at Kelvin Crombie's books, Uh, The latest one we've been talking about is called El Alamein. There's another one called Anzacs and Israel. Now, you can get a hold of those books at www.ucbdirect.com.au. Also, keep your eye out for Journey to Beersheba, all about the 1917 charge on Beersheba. Kelvin Crombie, it's just a pleasure hearing your insights into these historical details of our Anzacs. Thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Good to be with you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.